Well, welcome to the uh, latest episode of On the Couch from Marcus Today and myself, Henry Jennings. And this week, I've got a really interesting guest who some of you will be very familiar with, Ben O'Leary, who is ably assisting and working in partnership with Marcus on the SMA side of the business. That's the funds management side of the business. And we're really lucky to have Ben along this afternoon. He's a bit of an unsung hero. He's not quite as high profile as some of us out there in the media, but we need the brains behind the uh, the faces to make it all hum. And Ben certainly does that. So looking forward to chatting to Ben. We're going to be going through what the SMA is, what it does, some of its investment philosophy, and also some of Ben's very colorful history, I think it's fair to say. So let's get into it. But first of all, I just got to remind you that it is general advice only. So please do your own research. Contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts or ideas or insights that come out of this. We just want to do the right thing, but it is general advice nature only. So welcome, Ben. How are you? Thanks, Henry. Very well. How are you? Good. It's been another busy week in the in the Marcus Today team. Sure has in the COVID world. <laughs> in the uh, in the post-COVID lockdown world. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's kind of surreal at times. I was out at lunchtime today and it almost looked normal where I am on Sydney's northern beaches, but I gather they're certainly not quite so normal in other parts yeah. of uh, the country. Finding the roads are quiet, but the dog parks and the beaches are still humming along. Yes. Anyway, let's get into it. So, so Ben, you've been with us now for what, a couple of years? Yeah, a couple of years. Uh, I... I'll give a little background on myself uh, just quickly. Sure. I, when I finished school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I took a little bit of time to find my path into the stock market. I had a go at an exercise science degree and some personal training for a couple of years. Pretty quickly figured out that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. So I took some time off, quit the job and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And I've always liked maths and in particular probability and the risk and reward. And I had a few experiences through that year off that really helped me realize that finance was probably the path for me. One is in the movie, The Big Short, which I'm sure you've uh, seen. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, I always think back to when I was watching that and thinking, wow, this is, this is really cool. Like what's going on here is very interesting. <laughs> I would like to know more about it. And another one was a little bit of work I did in the gambling industry, which sounds a bit funny, but it kind of taught me the the importance of basically odds and risk and reward. So it's not about getting it right all the time, but if you can get three to one odds on a two to one chance, then you might lose. You're still going to lose every second one, but if you if you keep doing it, you're going to end up ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, so they, they kind of led me to eventually enrolling in a Bachelor of Banking and Finance and Economics at Monash. I kind of had some interest in the stock market at that point, but didn't really know where to go with it. And so my first interactions with Marcus today were actually uh, through hassling Tom, who was already working here on the newsletter. Uh, and I went to Tom, school with the great recruiter. Yep, the greatest recruiter in Marcus today history. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I think everyone outside of you has come through Tom pretty much, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I obviously hassled Tom enough to the point where he got me a job and joined Marcus today while I was still at uni in 2018, I think it was. And I worked on the newsletter part-time for a couple of years or for the kind of back end of my uni degree before making the transition over to the SMA to help out Marcus at the end of last year. Since I joined the team, my kind of main objective was to pick the brains of Marcus, yourself and Chris and try and learn everything I could from all your guys' experience, try to develop my own investing process, which I'm sure has elements of all three of you in it. 
Well, it wouldn't have taken you long to pick my brain, Shane, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, what, 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 what is interesting, when you talk about your gambling background and, uh, and the odds, I, I was trained as a trader originally back in, uh, in London on the London Stock Exchange, mm. and then I worked for Macquarie. And, and one of the things that we used to do a lot of was, was examine risk-reward and the odds of things and trying to get the best outcome for the least risk, which is at the end of the day, what a fund manager does. It's also what a, a bookie does to a certain extent as yeah, well. Exactly. So it's just that we're a little bit more respectable and probably wear better suits. You don't say. <laughs> well, not at the moment necessarily. Always no, not at the moment. So, so Ben, you, you work with Marcus uh, very closely on the SMA. Tell, tell, I guess, tell us about what an SMA actually is. It's, it's a highfalutin sound but what what actually is the sma yeah so an sma is a separately managed account which is pretty similar to a managed fund basically allows us to do the stock picking for you we have a growth sma and an equity income sma and there's about 45 million of real investor funds in them so this is real money yeah so it's real money so we have people asking us to direct the traffic for them and uh, the main difference you'll find between us in an SMA versus a managed fund is the way that it's structured. Unlike a managed fund where you're going to be buying units in a trust or a slice of the pie, with an SMA, you are the actual owner of the stocks that are purchased in your name. Right. So we're directing the traffic, but you get to use your own tax position, collect your own franking credits. And if we were to ever go under, your holdings are protected because they're still in your name. They're not ours. We simply direct the traffic. That sounds a pretty good idea, really. Yeah, it seems to work pretty well. We're not the first to do this. I must, no. <laughs> I must uh, t- t- tell everybody this is kind of a, a well thought out and uh, long running structure. So, so what's the the philosophy behind the SMA that we run? I, I know that uh, the income one is not as big as the uh, the equity growth fund. So, what's the philosophy behind the growth fund? So, the, to make people money, the growth SMA is designed to target long term capital growth. So, it doesn't mean we're not necessarily going full throttle into risky holdings. We use a, a roughly 80-20 split with 80% of the funds in large stocks that are normally top 50 to 100 and the remaining 20% in more aggressive growth plays, which is more the fun bit. But the, the split is kind of a risk management decision. And I guess uh, one of the other things to consider is that the SMA has the ability to go to a high percentage of cash. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So that's one of our big benefits is that the SMA mandate allows us to go to 100% cash if we choose to do so. And that's something that we have done in the past. The ability to raise that cash level has proved very valuable in the last couple of months of volatility that we've seen. Sure has, hasn't it? I guess, I mean, that's that's all part of protecting people's capital in, in tough times. Yeah, exactly. And because we're quite, we're, we've got 45 million, so we're not a big billion dollar fund manager. We're able to be quite nimble. Yeah, certainly when, when you put money in a big fund and they're trying to get out of a billion dollars worth of, of stock, it, it does distort prices. And of course, being smaller and nimble is a, is a really good thing. So uh, you, you've come to this, obviously, from, from a maths background as well as an economic background, but you're very um, concentrated and focused on the risk-reward side of things. What's, what's your own individual kind of investment process and what are you looking for in a stock? I'm really looking for lopsided reward to risk opportunities. I want to have a likely case, a best and worst case, and looking at what the probabilities of those happening are. I want the worst case to be not that bad and the best case to be really good. So the starting point of that is to understand the businesses, what they do, why they do it. Are they run by good people? 
if that all makes sense, then I'll have a look at the numbers, see that the earnings are consistently trending, make sure there's no big red flag, uh, no directors selling out of their stakes. If yep. it passes through those tests, then I'll have a look at the broker opinions on the stock, have a look at the industry, and then finally come to the charts. Having determined that I like the company, I'll have a look at what the chart is doing. Is it generally trending bottom left to top right? Are we seeing buy and sell signals? And depending on that kind of action, I'll either look to buy the stock or add it to a watch list to come back to it at a later date. And, and how many stocks do you reckon you've got on your watch list at the moment? There must be a, oh. a there must be plenty out <laughs> yeah, there, there, that, there we're, a, that we're all lot. watching for a chance. The watch list is pretty extensive at the moment. So lots of charts in the morning. Yeah, you see, I, I take issue with that. I, I don't think it is, uh, you know, an easy thing at the moment to pick out those stocks because you know we are living in a in a brave new world. We don't really know what the future is going to do or be, and it's very hard when you look back at what companies have done in terms of history to kind of uh, extrapolate that to the future because we could be living in a very different world. So I know that Marcus and, and you're saying the same thing, that a watch list is a really easy thing to put together. I find it quite difficult at the moment because the, we do see such uncertainty out there that we probably haven't seen for some time. At least with the GFC, we kind of knew what Qantas would look like after it kind of all passed through. Now we have no idea really whether the retail landscape will be completely online, whether people will be allowed to go to the football. It's it's such a strange world. Anyway, let, let's, let's yeah. move along a little that's, bit. I think that's um, just on that quickly. The, uh, the, the big risk at the moment, I think, is companies that get properly blown up and don't come back yeah. from it. And yeah. the line between the riskiest stocks and the stocks that are going to give the best reward is pretty fine. And it's going to be those yeah. ones, they're going to come from the same categories. And that's kind of the focus at the moment. But that is the hard bit. Just trying to avoid the ones that are going to really get blown up. What do you think is the secret sauce that Marcus today has going for it in terms of the fund management business? Is it uh, young, smart kids like you? Or is it old, wise heads like Marcus or just a bit of both? I don't think it's the young heads. I think the the uh, weighting of that rests with the old guys. And without giving away all the secret herbs and spices, because I don't want to get in trouble with the colonel. No one does. Uh, I think we kind of approach our stock picking in two ways, generally. It varies a bit because we're, we're nice and agile, but we will have that big watch list of stocks we like. And then to try and narrow it down a bit, we spend a lot of time pondering the major themes of the market. So looking at stuff like, is the auto industry about to hit a wall? The moment we've got oil, is that on its lows? Uh, is banking coming under pressure? Uh, and that helps us under identify how we want to play within the sectors. And then we look at the stocks from there. And then yeah. we also take ideas from our morning scans. So we'll put the entire market through MACD, RSI uh, scanners on our software. And that kind of alerts us to opportunities or threats through the buy and sell signals, which we take as an indicator to have a deeper look at a stock. So here's another question without notice. As, as far as you, when you're looking at a stock, are you a fundamental kind of guy or a, or a technical kind of guy? I would say I am, as we all are at Marcus today, a bit of a mix, a bit of a hybrid. Basically, we all want to be buying good quality companies that we want to be timing our entry into them. So want them to be trending up or coming off lows. Generally, we're looking to time good quality companies with solid fundamentals, but technicals also saying yes. Well, that sounds fair enough. I think, I think that uh, goes for most investors. I think there's very few probably investors that are completely technically driven, especially in equity markets. Okay, well, now we come to the money shot part of the uh, the conversation. Ben. Very good. 
What are the three stocks that you are looking at at the moment, either to add to the portfolio or that you've got in the portfolio that you really like and you see a great long-term growth profile for? All right. The, uh, the first one doesn't need much of an introduction. I think that would be CSL. It's right. one of the biggest and best companies in our market. When the market turned down a bit, it gave us an opportunity and now we're very thankful to be rooting for it instead of against it. The next one, if you're ready for that. Sure. It's one that I really, really like, and we tend to trade in and out of it a bit because it's a bit of a market stock. So we don't hold it at the moment, but we'd be looking to add it again, which is Magellan. No, it's one of your favorites as well, Henry. Ah, yes. The cult of Hamish. The cult of Hamish, exactly. But (laughs) beyond that, I really like Nanasonics, and we've recently bought that in the fund. They specialize in disinfectant technology for ultrasound probes. So they've got a strong experience management team. I think it's ex-cochlear. It's been expensive and we've watched it for a while and we got a nice little pullback and that gave us a good little entry point. I've got to say, I don't think I've ever washed my hands quite so much in my entire life. So that, that's, that's three really good quality stocks there. CSL, Nanasonics and Magellan. Of course, Magellan has a bit of double whammy. It does have that leverage to the market because as the market goes up, their funds under management increase so their income increases and also as long as they perform admirably which hamish has done in the past they get that kicker of course in yeah, terms exactly. of uh, performance fees so you kind of get double bubble which is one of the attractions of owning uh, a fund manager business yeah and, and that's course, exactly why we we kind of move out as the market turns down and move in it's probably the first one we'll buy when we look to uh, yeah. de- deploy the cash again and of course most fund managers carry very little debt so as far as the market goes, you know, we, we saw a big dip uh, in March mm-hmm. and uh, I think we bottomed from memory. It was when the Fed went all in, the Buzz Lightyear moment as yep. we talked about when they went to infinity and beyond. I think it was around March the 23rd, 24th. Yep. Where do you see it going from here? We've been quite nimble and pretty successful in our strategy so far. Where, where do you see the, the future? Where's the, the next six months in the market? We're quite well positioned. Uh, we've had a pretty good two months considering what's been going on. We went to 70% cash at the top of the market there at 24th of February, I think it was. And we were really, that turned out very well for us over the next month as the market fell 34%, I think, top to bottom. We outperformed by about 20. And then we moved back into the market on the 24th, which turned out to be the bottom, as you said. So we've been positioned pretty well. We've just moved up our cash level again to around 40%, uh, mm. thinking that we've got a bit of a risk of a short-term top out after the little rally we've had over the last kind of three or four weeks because uh, really we're just trying to finesse the short-term because we think we're going to look back at this as a buying opportunity uh, long-term. And I think once we come out of all this and with rates at zero, I think there has to be a flood back into equities as there's not really any other alternative to get a return on your money. Here's an interesting little question I, I'd, I'd like to ask you. So you're a young man, mm-hmm. uh, considerably younger than, uh, than myself and, and Marcus as well. In, in 20 years' time, when you're a rich and famous um, fund manager like Hamish, what, what, what lessons do you think you're going to be able to impart to your 20-something juniors in the fund management business that you now run from the Cayman Islands or wherever, that, that, that you've learnt throughout this um, this whole, I guess this is probably your first uh, serious crash, you went yeah. around for the GFC. So, so what lessons would you be able to tell your uh, subordinates in 20 years' time from this one? 
So I think the the first one would be to listen to the smart people around you. And obviously I've just been doing what I can for all this, but the, the credit really goes to Marcus and the whole team having the investment conversations. I like that quote, if you're the smartest person in the room, find a new room. And <laughs> I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by really intelligent people at Marcus today. So it gives me a big opportunity to learn. And I think that would be one piece of uh, wisdom that I would like to be able to pass on in the future to just figure out who the smart people are around you and then utilize them, pick their brains, learn from them. Yeah. Uh, and the second one would be that it's really getting the big things right that makes the, the difference. So when I first joined Marcus and we were working on the fund, I was getting stressed about 1% changes in weightings and worried about a 5% fall in a stock in one day. And then when you go through a week where the whole market falls 20%, it kind of puts that little stuff into perspective. Yeah. So it's the it's it's not the the little finessing things that have little bits on stocks that have got us the, our nice outperformance over the last couple of weeks, a uh, couple of months, sorry. It's getting the big things right. It's those two big calls to come out of the market and into the market and everything else asset. is just the cherry on top. Asset allocation, I guess. What, yeah. One of the things that you may impart to your um, juniors in 20 years time, of course, is just being decisive rather than dithering and not doing anything and sitting there and closing your eyes or sitting on your hands or burying your head in the sand. I think it's it's be decisive at least, uh, whether you're right or wrong, with your decisiveness, at least it clears your head from all that noise. Yeah, definitely. So. Not staying up night after night worrying about it. And I think this this correction we've had, or crash if you want to call it that, has kind of shown us the uh, ferocity that it can happen in. So the people that were kind of wandering around going, oh, you can... You can wait a week, kind of see how it plays out. The way it worked, if you waited a week, you could have been 20% worse off than if you just acted decisively. Yeah. So we were lucky that we did act decisively and we did it at good moments. But yeah, yeah. That, you're right. That is a definitely another message to uh, pass on. A, a week has been a long time in this uh, this market. It seems oh, crazy. It? Here we are on, on the eve of Anzac Day. We're just doing this in front of Anzac Day on the 24th of April. It was only two months ago that the uh, the ASX 200 was around 71.50 at an all-time high. Yeah, reached that all-time high and had the uh, all-technology index launch. Yes, it was it right was, on the day. It was, it was an amazing coincidence, wasn't it? it was, some, some, sometimes there's a, you do get the feeling that there's a conspiracy going yeah, on somewhere in the world. Yeah, you kind of have to, don't you? Well, you do a little bit. So, all right, bit Ben. Well, well, I don't want to keep you for, for, for too much longer. We were coming up to our time limit. Just, just one last question before you go. Well, what um, what do you do in your spare time? What what keeps you sane from all this uh, market speak? During the home lockdowns, I've been taking the dog out a lot. I've got a little 18-month-old Nova Scotia duck toller retriever, which is cool. a pain to explain the breed whenever anyone asks because he looks a bit funny. Uh, so yeah. I took him out. I've been walking him down to the beach most days. Uh, outside of that, I'm a pretty big sports nut. So I'll spend during footy season, I'll be watching or playing footy cricket season playing sometimes watching love my nfl in america uh, so that takes up a lot of my time as well wow nfl there's the thing yeah I, <laughs> it took me a long time to get i thought it was the most boring thing in the world and then i just decided to sit down and learn the rules and now i love it so all right ben well this has been a really fantastic conversation thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy day to do that and we know that you're one of the unsung 
a little bit of the backroom boffins that we have at Marcus today. We have a, a great team and we're very lucky to have the people we have got on board and we're very lucky to have you as part of that team. And I'm really happy that uh, you've agreed to come and do this uh, podcast for us. So thanks very much. Thank you.